Okay. Um, I want to welcome everybody to this episode of the Book Marketing Success Podcast. And today I have a special guest, uh, Fitz Kohler. Uh, did I pronounce that right? You sure did, Fitz Kohler. Okay. And she uh, is a cancer survivor. And her newest book coming out in January is Your Healthy Cancer Comeback, Sick to Strong. And then uh, along with that, she's doing a healthy cancer comeback journal to help people to keep track of their progress as they're going through cancer treatment. So she's gone from being uh, published by traditional routes to self-publishing. And she says, I've learned that self-publishing, if you create great product, can be a great way to create solid profit. So I wanted to talk to her a little bit about her self-publishing journey journey, and um, get a little bit more idea of exactly what she does to uh, promote her books. Well, so, thank you for, thanks yeah. for having me on your show, John. I love talking sure. about self-publishing. And there were so many people that were open about their experiences that helped make my experience great. So I am delighted to pay that forward. Okay, great. So, you know, somewhere... I presume you hadn't written a book before your cancer journey, but that cancer journey inspired you to uh, put together a book about it to help other people think about and try to progress through a cancer diagnosis. Well, half right. So I was okay. a published author. <laughs> I, was, I, I did write and publish a book previously. Okay. Um, through a traditional publisher. That's the Everything Flat Belly Cookbook that was published by Adams Media okay. in t- 2009. And um, while that was a decent experience, the next publishing, traditional publishing experience with them took a big nosedive. And they, mm. to me, did not act very ethically. And, uh, and when it, it came time for me to write another book, I decided there's no way I was going to fork over control of my product and uh, and I'm so happy that I made that decision because self-publishing is so rewarding. I love having control. I love being able to choose not only the exact way my book will uh, be laid out and have, have pictures or not, choose my title, all of those things. Um, but I love choosing the professionals that work on my book. And then certainly I love making the majority of the profit off of my book instead of handing <laughs> it over to... Some randoms, right? <laughs> yes. And uh, the second book you did that you had a bad experience with, you know, it's it's interesting because I presume with the first book, you had a good experience with the cookbook. I, I did. So I'll actually, I'm, I'm happy to be completely honest about that experience. I had a literary agent, which is pretty cool. I live in Gainesville, Florida. There's not a lot of literary agents running around here, but I was connected to one and it worked out. She was very nice. She was in New York. And so she scored me the first book deal, the Everything Flat Belly Cookbook with Adams Media. And they paid me $10,000 up front. And I wrote that book fairly quickly on deadline, made it happen. Um, But they wouldn't let me add photos. There was a bunch of things I wanted to do to the book. And they said, no, this is our formula and you have to stick with it. Okay. So that was book number one. And then uh, my agent came back and said, Hey, they'd like for you to do another book for them. They have a series 365 ways and they want you to write 365 ways to boost your metabolism. And I thought, 
okay. And again, they were going to pay me up front. And so uh, I write the book and I send it in. I send the draft in and they they come back and they say, well, we want to add two chapters. And I thought, adding two chapters, what? They said, well, one chapter we want to add on uh, people taking weight loss supplements and the right kind of weight loss supplements. And then the other one was on negative calorie food. Now, John, I am, my profession is I'm a highly credentialed fitness expert. I have a master's degree and um, my claim to fame is not only being uh, really smart about exercise and being able to get people to do what they need to do to make themselves better, but I'm honest with the consumer. I've never sold a diet or a pill or a powder or a supplement. And I am completely opposed to those snake oil, lying, scheming, scummy things that just take advantage of the consumer who wants nothing more to be healthy. So I, t- I responded and I said, well, absolutely not. You cannot put <laughs> lies about supplement, like as if there was some sort of weight loss shake that worked. That's a lie. And then the other chapter they wanted to add was on negative calorie foods, suggesting that if you ate all of these various foods, you would burn more calories in digestion than you would consuming the calories, thus causing weight loss. And I said, that's just false. It's a lie. We can't do it. And they said, well, Fitz, we need to put it in there because that will sell books. People will buy those, buy it because of those chapters. And I said, you can't put my name on a book filled with lies. They said, okay, we won't put your name on a book filled with lies. And they took my name off the book and they hired some hack job loser nutritionist who was willing to sell out the consumer, put her name on my book and released it that way. And what I found is I, I went back to my agent and I said, what in the world is going on? She said, oh, well, in the contract, they listed you as a freelance writer instead of author. If they would have referenced you as author, you would have final say, but because you're freelance writer, they control the message. And I said, well, you should have known better. You shouldn't have let me sign that contract. So you're fired. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I decided no more. I was no, I wasn't going to be involved with that. So when it yes, from- you know, and the agent should have known what known. was happening and cautioned you about that. I recommend to any author, if you're signing a contract with a book publisher, that you should be comfortable with everything that's in that contract and, and know what it means. And well, that, that's the thing, John. How do you know unless you know, right? You're trusting the people around you. So yeah. I certainly wouldn't have known those details. She should have right. known. So here's the other thing is it's hard to find a great literary agent. I had one, so I thought, and then I fired her and then I never got another literary agent again. So, you know, all's well that ends well. I am so thrilled with the self-publishing process. Does it, is it a mountain worth of work? Absolutely. It's Mount Everest. But the, uh, like this, this book is my first uh, self-published book. It looks a little pink from the light, but my noisy cancer comeback, this thing and hardcover can sit on the shelf next to Michelle Obama and George Bush's books. And they look of the same quality and uh, they do equally, well, not equally well, I wish. Right. But they do really well. It's it's a great looking cover. So you hired somebody, I presume, to Absolutely. create the cover and they did a nice job. Thank you. And, you know, sometimes that's how you can tell if a book is self-published. The cover isn't that great. <laughs> but, you know, surprisingly, I've seen a lot of books come out of the major New York publishers where I'm going, 
why did they use that cover? It doesn't help to sell the book. And, you know, you know, and the thing is that once you sell your rights to a publisher, they basically control the rest of the process. Yeah. And if it's really important that your cover look a certain way, again, you have to negotiate that ahead of time before mm-hmm. you sign the contract. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you, you end up with a cover that you probably can't live with or a title you can't live with. Right. That's right. And I think books, you just put too much effort into them to give away all the good stuff. Right. I just, yeah, I I'm, I'm a control freak. My, my business is my name. So my business is Fitness. I am Fitz and I sink or swim, you know, anything that goes wrong with my business is a direct reflection of me. So I don't want to give away my, my products, my branding control of any part of Fitness to anyone else. Uh, so yeah, self-publishing, I think it's the only way to go. Unless someone showed up with a multi-million dollar deal, I might be bought by that, but uh, <laughs> there would be some major negotiatings in it. I re- I've really been, I, I, from now on, I'm committed. I won't even pitch my books to self, to traditional publishers anymore. Right. No way. But, you know, interestingly enough, some self-published books are discovered by the major publishers and they come to you with a contract offer that maybe you can't refuse. And uh, that's fine, but you've already set the control parameters and you're in a position of strength compared to most authors who have no track record with the book. They don't really have an audience. They haven't built things up. So they don't have much negotiating power. But you as a self-publisher, you know, and your brand name and things like that, you have power to actually negotiate a strong contract. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't I don't know if that will ever happen, but Yeah, and it doesn't matter if you publish it okay. yourself. I self self-published a book uh, many years ago on direct marketing, and then I sold the rights to John Wiley, and I ended up selling more books on my own than Wiley sold. Uh, but I got orphaned. My editor left to become a a, a, a forest ranger in Montana. Okay, good for that person. <laughs> yeah, I guess he enjoyed it. But boy, he abandoned. You know, you're the main person that advocates for you in a publishing company is your editor, and if, if they're gone, yeah, you know. I had a sales rep in Minneapolis that loved the book and she said, I wish they'd provide more support because I really love selling your book, but you know, it didn't work out. I got the rights back eventually and maybe someday I'll republish it, but it's not high priority for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. We got to pick and choose our battles, right? Yeah. And you know, you always have battles. I mean, there's always some challenge, even as a self-publisher, you have to figure out a way to get the book into bookstores and so on. If you self-publish to Ingram Spark, you have that in yeah. automatically. And did you? Which I do. Yeah. And, you know, and that's really back when I started, you had nothing like that. You had no inroads into Ingram or any right. of the book wholesalers. It was, you know, you had to create the demand. Then you had to hopefully at some point find a distributor. I went through three different distributors uh, in my, you know, because one decided no longer to distribute. Another one just uh, grew uninterested in my books. So, you know, 
it's a real challenge. The neat thing about going through Ingram Spark is that you have access to the world's bookstores. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. And, and and I think they do a wonderful job publishing high quality products, yeah. and they work they work really quickly, uh, which means the world to me sometimes to be able to get a hundred books in a week. So I, I'm a big fan of Ingram Spark. Right now they they're getting my business. They've earned it. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, so I like it for the you know all those reasons: uh, automatic distribution. Uh, they do good quality. Yeah. You can get bulk quantity if you want to from them things like that, that can really make a difference. And you still own the rights. Yeah, I sure do. You control the book completely. So if you want to go, okay, I'm not doing Ingram Spark anymore. I want to print 10,000 copies or whatever and form my own publishing company. You can do that. Yeah, yeah. And it gives you a lot of flexibility. Probably the biggest flexibility in self-publishing is you can crank out a book and get it out into the marketplace and, two or three months if you want to. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm sure with Adams Media, it was probably a year-long process. It seemed to take forever. It sure did. <laughs> I mean, my, my my responsibility was rushed. Or like, you need to have a deadline. It's got to be done in six weeks. Or I, I made it happen. I worked so hard on that book that I was working all day by seven or eight o'clock at night. My eyes would shut off. I, I just couldn't focus on a screen anymore. I had 20-20 vision but my eyes would fatigue and just shut off. That's right. that's when I knew I was done at the end of the day is when I couldn't see anymore. I literally couldn't see straight. So I had to shut my computer. Um, but yeah, man, it's the book writing process. If somebody's getting a book out in two, three months, good for them. I find it to be a much more lengthy process. Uh, at least the type of books I've written, they just require more time. I think I'm a, I'm a solid year girl. I'm a year. <laughs> and that's fine. You know, what works for people. Yeah. The sad thing for me is, is the self-publishers who take four or five years to write the book. And in the meantime, they haven't created an audience for their, their book. And so, you know, they get the book done and then they have to go through the whole process of publishing and marketing because they don't have an audience at all. Yeah, so it was interesting when I was writing, uh, when when my agent was pitching me, They you had to declare your audience. And I didn't really understand that as much back then. But now, whew, am I so grateful that I already have a built-in audience of, of fans of what I do and people right. who support my business because they're the first to buy. You know, when I, when I published your no- my Noisy Cancer Comeback in 2020, I put it on pre-sale and there were hundreds of sales before it got, before it went on sale. That was just through my own website. I sell my books personally off of my website. I sign every last one of them that leaves my office. They come with a cute little gift. I ship them in pretty packaging and I ship them out with love. And there's two things. I love that personal connecting with connection with my readers. I love it. And it's a, it's a personal topic. They're coming to me quite often because they've been through, they're going through cancer or their friend has gone through cancer. So, you know, I feel for them. They, they feel connected to me too. So it's really meaningful to put these books in the mail with a personal note and maybe a cute little sticker on the envelope. And then also, I mean, Amazon takes 55%. Heck no. I'd much rather keep that 55% and do the 
little extra work of shipping out packages. So is it time consuming? Sometimes it's very. Uh, I do have interns. Sometimes I'm willing to pay uh, hourly wage help to come and uh, do this with me and for me, but I, I, it really works for my business. I've, I've, my books have been very profitable. I used to like uh, packing and shipping myself. It was kind of a nice break from writing and marketing. Yes. And again, you know, you could write personal notes in the uh, package and yes. things like that. And, you know, I'd often autograph my book so that they would have that as well. So it was nice. Uh, you know, right now I can't do it, but. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can. And I actually feel like it's part of the reward. I don't know if you remember in elementary school when your teacher would have you volunteer to come pass out papers. And it just felt like, wow, I get to do this thing. <laughs> For some reason, packing up the book, signing all the books. It just, you know, I wrap it up with love and it feels relaxing to me. And, and it feels very rewarding. I will never begrudge any ounce of effort I have to put forth because somebody took money out of their bank account and sent it over to me for my books. Yeah. And, and that personal connection really helps you to create exactly. uh, more fans because the people that really feel a connection to you as an author are going to tell more people about your book than those who don't feel a connection. Here's, here's my extra step. And again, we're dealing with cancer. So, um, and, and many of, I, many of the people who are buying my books, they reach out on social media, say, Hey, I just want to, you have bought your book or whatever. I will click video call off of Instagram. And I will just call that person who's told me they just were diagnosed with pancreatic cancer or brain cancer. And I just hit boop and they, and they answer and they fits. And I say, yeah, I just wanted to tell you I'm rooting for you and have a little conversation. And you know, after, after that, they read my book and they, you know, we, we do form these wonderful friendships. And is there a lot of people I do that with there? There's a lot of people I do that with, but um, I almost can't keep myself from them. I can't do it. I love them. Yeah. And you're doing something that a lot of uh, authors fail to do. And that is really create personal connections with the people that buy your book. And that really can make a lot of difference, especially long-term, not just mm -hmm. short-term, but the long-term benefit is so incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course it'd be very, it'd be impossible to do that off of someone buying off of Amazon or showing up in the bookstore to pick yeah. them up. But those that order straight through me, you know, if they're buying for their sister, my sister was just diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Can you get my noisy cancer come back out to her? And then I say, okay, well, what's your sister's name? And then, and then I hunt down the sister and I connect and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, and, and then the burden becomes on me because now I've, I've fallen in love with people that are, you know, fighting for their life. You know, not everybody wins that battle, but it's, it's worth right. it. It's absolutely worth it. The neat thing about self-publishing is you control that interaction yes. in a way that you don't always get a chance to, if you're published by a major publisher or a midterm publisher like Adams. Yeah. Um, that, you know, they, it really makes a difference when you can control that, uh, entire process, writing the book, producing the book, the way you want it to look and so on. Yeah. And then, you know, market it again from your angle rather than from, uh, you know, most, most publishers, well, your book would probably not be an A-list book with the most publishers. It would be B-list 
you know, we're going to throw it out there, see what happens, but right. we're not going to, we're not going to do a lot of work, yeah. but you do a lot of work, you know, and a, and a good self-publishing author does that. Yeah. They do the work because they want their book to be seen and read by people because they want to help change people's lives. That's right. So interesting, my design of my books, one of the things I'm so excited about is these next two books, Your Healthy Cancer Comeback and the Journal. They're so colorful. They're so vivid and happy. And I had one graphic designer that I, I, I found on Upwork. She had a beautiful portfolio. And I said, listen, uh, these are books about cancer, but I want it to be happy and vibrant and not sad and most every book on cancer out there is very macabre and dreary. And I tell you, when you're stressed out, when you get a diagnosis, someone says, hey, you have cancer. The last thing you want is anybody to scare you anymore. You want, inspir- you want information and you want hope, which is why I look so freaking happy on the cover of this book, because I want people to know, yeah, it's a cancer story, but it's, it's a good one. There's a happy ending and there's a lot of fun inside. So with this designer, I told her exactly what I wanted. She had a beautiful logo she made for a yogurt company. I said, I like that. She responded with three book book design samples. One was brown, one was beige, one was, was another awful color. They had ribbons on them and they had this ball stock image of this ball cancer patient and nurse. And I said, where is the happy in that? There- no, and hell no, absolutely not. And so I, I fired her on the spot. I said, nope. And then there's a, there's a woman locally who's a, a very talented graphic designer. She's never done a book before, but she makes things beautiful. And so I reached out and I said, listen, I know you've never done a book before, but I really would like you to design this book. And she said, well, I've always wanted to. And so we brainstormed and I mean, just the colors uh, and the cover is so happy that when I, you know, you take covers around, and you show people, what do you think about this? And, and they all say, that makes me happy. Or I would pick that up because that's calls my name. And I feel like if I had a traditional publisher, I would probably have a beige cancer book with some stupid ribbon on it and some sad person. Oh, I just, and that would make me so unhappy. I don't want to do anything else that scares a cancer patient or makes them feel sad. I just want to lift them up, lift higher, higher. And the designs, the outside, it's full color on the inside. I'm, I, I figured, whatever, I'm going to spend to make these books beautiful and cheery. And if they flip the other page and it makes them smile again, great. So it's nice to have these controls. You know, the thing you're talking about, you know, with book covers, there's two major purposes of a book cover. Yeah. One is to get people to pick it up. Yeah. And the second one is to get people to open it up and read it. And, you know, you're describing of that uh, beige cancer book with a bald head. I wouldn't open it up. No, you would run away from that book. That one is just, you don't need any more stressful news. I remember sitting in these exam rooms at my oncologist's office and the whole thing was very stressful. I handled it very well, but they had this video board and you could touch it and it would give you. It was, it was sponsored by a pharmaceutical company or provided. <laughs> and basically you touch it and I'll tell you about your cancer. And then I'll tell you all the horrible things that could happen to you with your cancer. And if you take this drug, here's some other horrible things that'll happen to you. And I, I, I used to, you know, tell my husband, don't let me touch the board, turn the, turn that board off. I don't want anything to do with the <laughs> board. And so if you have this dreary cancer book, 
run away from that too. So, so yeah, we made, I made some choices. I'm really excited about them. Yeah. And, you know, it really does make a difference because, you know, if the person doesn't open the book and read it, they're never going to tell anybody else about your book. Then they're going to go, oh, well, that was a lost cause or whatever. But, you know, if they open the book and it starts to change their lives, they're going to tell a lot more people about the book and say, you got to read this book. It really helped me get through the everything that I had to go through. That's right. And and sometimes, you know, I've watched several key people for me go through a cancer journey. Yeah. Um, my mother, she said, ah, I'm not doing the uh, chemotherapy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and she died about three months later, but she died on her terms. Yeah. And, control. Yeah. First chapter is called control. <laughs> and, and your mother died with control. Good for her. I'm sad she's gone, but she took responsibility for her own life. And, and I hope you honored that. I did. I, I was yeah. really happy for her, you know, yeah. what you chose to do. Yeah. And uh, I was lucky enough to spend the last three weeks before she died with her uh, at her home. And it was just really sweet and nice and made her journey a lot easier. So, you know, to me, it was very special, but, you know, you said that the first chapter in your book is control. You know, that's probably what should be the first chapter in a book on self-publishing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's some of us, if you're type A, you want it, right? And even if you're not, you should take it. You should, everybody should know the power they harness, the power they have, and they should harness it. Very important. So we talked about the design. I've been all gushy about how bright and cheery the book is, and I'm really excited about that. But, you know, there's been months and months and months of content. It's a lifetime worth of fitness expertise. And then my cancer street cred, put it, how do you put it all together? You know, I, I think that for me, even though I probably got most of the content on the pages in three months, the delays getting to editing and so forth allowed me to ponder things, add to it. You know, there, I even added something last month some new research came in. I thought, wow, I got to include that. So for me, having a little extra time, even though I want to go fast, I want it done right away. The extra time has allowed me to embellish certain ideas or, or add on, change things. Uh, and it's important to have that quality. So I, I'm, a, I'm a talented writer. I'm hoping most people that write books are. So I know some people get a ghost writer. If you're not a talented writer, if grammar's not your thing, go get someone to help you with that. Uh, but big investment in copy editing. Right. You know, know, I've got a master's degree in all these big things, but if I don't know the difference between there, there, and there, some reader is going to think I'm a moron, shut the book and and give me a one-star review. So that the quality of your content, well, that's probably the most important part, isn't it, John? It it is. I mean, because that's what generates word of mouth and word of mouth sells 80% of all books that are sold. They're sold by word of mouth. Somebody telling somebody else, you got to read this book. Uh, When I used to work in uh, downtown St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, I'd walk the, they had uh, walkways over the streets uh, for the winter weather. And and I'd walk through there and I'd see all the secretaries at lunchtime reading the same book. (laughs) Because they 
they wanted to talk to each other about the book. And it, yeah. it was amazing how many people read the same romance, the same mystery, whatever it was, because they had friends that were reading it. Well, and you they, know what? I'm going, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you are speaking my language. It's interesting. Uh, so, so with nonfiction, you do a little research. Is there something like this, right? What, what, who's my competition? What am I up against? What I found is I'm up against virtually nobody. Uh, there's one book that's it it's, has a fitness theme with cancer, but it's an, it doesn't really give any good fitness advice. It's written by a nurse. What does a nurse know about it? She's not a fitness expert, so I don't really have any competition in the in the uh, category, which is fantastic. However, also kind of criminal. I remember when I um, I hit rock bottom, so I was violently ill for a very long time. And I lost 11% of my body weight. So I was skeletal. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a thin girl as it is. Imagine taking, you know, a dozen or so pounds off of this. I was, I lost 80% of my strength. I couldn't open the car door. I couldn't open a water bottle. And uh, I went into the gym and I realized how weak I really was. And at that moment, you know, I had two thoughts. Number one was, wow, thank goodness. I'm a fitness expert because I know exactly how to build my body up. Now I was a shell of who I was looking in the mirror, horrified me. My mom, in fact, today, my mom said, um, we were reminiscing about that time. She said, you look like you're in a concentration camp. And I thought, Oh mom, (laughs) but it's true. It's true. I looked horrible, but I knew how to rebuild my body gradually, intelligently. And I did it so well that when I finished my 15 months of chemotherapy, a little over a year later, I ran the Boston marathon. So I have done a great job building my body up. However, that's the very same moment where I was grateful for all of my knowledge. What I felt was uh, devastation for those who were not fitness experts, for people that just hit rock bottom and had nowhere, no, no understanding of how to dig, dig their way out of that hole. I was heartbroken because cancer's hard enough, but to think, oh my gosh, I'll never be the same. I'll never have health. I'll never have strength. I'll never look good or feel good. And so I decided then I would be derelict in my duties as a fitness expert and a, and a fellow cancer survivor, not to provide the blueprint for fellow cancer patients. And so, you know, it's interesting uh, with selling the other books, I thought, oh, I hope people enjoy them. You know, it'd be nice to sell a bunch of books. I hope people enjoy them. These two books, I will feel uh, my, my commitment is to Make sure every, every single cancer patient and survivor on earth knows they exist. I want them to know that this resource exists because there's nothing else like it for them. How else do they get the help unless somebody gives it to them or shares the knowledge? So um, I, I feel a very strong responsibility to market wisely. Uh, you know, there's a book when you get pregnant, it's called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Yes. Every pregnant mom gets it, right? Or almost all of them do. I want these books to be the what to expect when you're expecting for cancer patients. And so my, my request to your audience is if you love someone with cancer or someone recently coming out of cancer, please let them know these resources exist. Um, I'm really, I, I feel like it's going to make a tremendous impact, not only in the way people feel after cancer, but fitness, nutrition, quality sleep, all of these things I talked about in the book, it's proven to help increase your chances of remission. It's proven to help decrease your chances of having a reoccurrence. So it's important information 
And uh, yeah, marketing, John, is going to be, the book's great. I have, I have full confidence in the books. They've been vetted by oncologists, by cancer patients. Everyone says, yes, please hurry, get it out. Uh, but now the burden will be, how do you market to the world? Yeah, and you're going to have to reach out to different media and yeah. so on to, to make that message. But uh, on one side, you have something that I think TV shows would be interested in, especially if you tie it into a cancer journey that's going ongoing with a celebrity or something like yeah, that. For sure. Because it's in the news then. I just read about uh, a sad case uh, just minutes before we started talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, a football player yes. uh, on the Denver team, you know, he had been on the championship 31. team. 31. So you read it too. Yeah. Rare kidney cancer. Tragic. Yeah. Yeah. It was a rare cancer, but it's really sad. I mean, he was 31 prime of his life, you know, in other, every other way he had to be, you know, strong physical specimen. Yeah. You don't play football without that, but uh, you know, to read that, you know, that he died because uh, he had a rare cancer and it it was going to be a tough journey because yeah. with rare cancers, there's not very many treatments probably. Correct. Yeah. But uh, I was sad to read that, that. You know, I often wonder what happens when somebody dies when they're very young. You know, I'm getting up there in age. So, you know, if I died, nobody would be surprised. But you know. <laughs> Well, I'm sure someone would be surprised and very, very sad. But yes. Yeah, it's it's um it's agonizing especially to see children go through it so that was some of my my tools I use my mental tools when I was diagnosed is even though I was terrified um, my doctor told me he could cure me but I I just thought okay well I'm not a kid with cancer can you imagine what kind of nightmare that would be I'm not a kid and it's not my kid and so because of that I will put on my big girl panties and I will figure it out I will I will get through it and I did I did I did a lot of coaching and uh, perspective, passions, positivity, all those things went into my recovery, but people need those tools. And so um, even if you have a lethal form of cancer, which I'm so sorry if you do, or someone you love does, but you can slow the decline. So it's not just about, okay, well, if I'm going to die anyways, who cares? Well, what, as you lose strength, life becomes more difficult. So how do you maintain strength longer? How do you maintain stamina longer or mobility longer? All of those things equal quality of life. And so even if you have a certain to be terminal cancer, can you extend the quality of your life a little longer because you ate wisely and you pursued X, Y, Z exercises, smart exercises, not necessarily running in a marathon, just things that make you stronger and more flexible and so forth. So uh, I, it's, it's in it's a strategic maneuver for your own benefit you know it, for me aging is very similar in the sense that you know i try to stay as healthy as i can cuz i want to be you know i know that i got some creaks and cracks you know whatever but i try to keep well enough that i can enjoy life and i plan to do that all the way up to 120 Yes, I'm on. I'm on that game plan too, John. You know, it's interesting. One of the uh, real markers for age is atrophy, muscle atrophy, and you see it in the locker room. There's uh, there's all these cool chicks in my locker room. They're 80, they're 90, and they're really uh, 
saggy, right? They're, they've lost their muscle plumpness and so forth. But then when we see a, a man or a woman in their 70s who exercises uh, aggressively and they have that muscle tone, we think, wow, they're strapping, they're youthful. And so, yeah, we all can maintain muscle mass. We all can gain muscle mass. It requires effort. So what? Everything else that's good, everything else that's worth having in the world requires effort. So you put in some effort. You don't have to be a bodybuilder. You just got to, like you, like me, put in some effort, right? Right. And, you know, and interestingly enough, your whole idea about effort, really applies to marketing your book when you're self-publishing or if you're with a publisher. So many authors want somebody else to do it. And the reality is you can, you can hire people to help you with some of the things, but if you're not involved, the book isn't going to go very, you know, you know, you're going to be very, very lucky if the book sells at all, if you're not involved in the marketing of the book. Hey, one of the things you mentioned, which is just so smart is that hook. What makes your story relevant to the masses? Because let's say you write a romance novel. I love romance novels like the next girl, but is it news? Someone else published a romance novel. Is it news? Well, no, but what if you said this romance novel is loosely based on Brad Pitt and Angelina's marriage? All right, now that might be a news story, right? So you find out how it intertwines with something that might be relevant to the masses and you get some coverage, but you do have to ask. And I, when I first started out, um, I was afraid to ask for opportunities. Yeah. And 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 I was competitively kickboxing at the time. So while <laughs> I would stand in a ring with someone who wanted to knock my block off in front of thousands of people, I was afraid to ask the magazine editor if I could write the article. Finally, that I, I figured that out, and so I made the phone call and I said, "Hey." I write the article for you? And he said, oh, yeah. How much money do you need? And I thought, he said, yes. (laughs) And he's going to give me money. All I had to do was ask. And so uh, what I would encourage other authors is not to have that fear of rejection. So what if they say no? Okay, you send an email. You made a phone call. They said, no, thank you. Move on. Ask again. Someone's bound to say yes. And if they don't, just keep refocusing your, your pitch, right? Hone it. Right. So you can even ask the same person again. Uh, because if you come with a different pitch, a little bit different angle, they go, oh, that matches my audience. That will work. And, you know, so many authors, they take the one rejection and they go, I'm not good. You know, (laughs) my book is not good. Nobody wants it, you know, and then they're trying to pay other people to promote the book, but that nobody has the same belief in the book as you as an author. And, And that has to be communicated. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and you do it well. So, you know, that's a neat thing. You, uh, you know, I think you'll do fine. You know, even, you know, I'd love to see you on, you know, a major TV show talking about cancer and so on and, and how, it, you know, being fit makes a difference. And there certainly have to be certainly podcasts that would be interested, but also I think other shows. And, you know, we met together uh, at matchmaker.fm. Yeah. So you're looking for being a guest and uh, I don't know if you have your own podcast and you have guests. Okay. So I don't it's a- have too many guests, but it, it only I have, um, what do we have? Like elite athletes come on my show. Yeah. And the neat thing is, you know, if you have your own podcast is you can say, I'd love to interview you. And then you interview them. You have a great uh, show and 
uh, everything goes well. And they go, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but I should have you on my podcast. (laughs) And and things like that can happen. You know, what's really interesting, John, and I have to change this about me is I am not on my own channels. I don't do a lot of self-promotion. And so that's a real weakness for me. I've historically given all the information away for free. Really, corporations pay my salary. They pay me to be a spokesperson or a a keynote speaker or, you know, I do race announcing. So I've all just, I was always just giving stuff away to the consumer. And so now I have some products. I have some books. I have an online course. And I'm I'm learning to build in. uh, And my style is casual mentions as opposed to saying, you need to buy this. (laughs) <laughs> you gotta have it you know i'm not very uh local commercial about it but you're not a good circus parker <laughs> no no but that that's really my weakness where i have to improve on is is just clearly telling people and why because it does benefit them my products are very beneficial to uh people who are trying to get fit or of course cancer patients now so right. i'm working on that i'm working on that but i am uh, January 23 is the release of these books. And as soon as I have them in my hand, I will be um, pitching the national media hardcore. Yeah. And, and that really makes a difference. You know, I come from the world where, you know, I write about marketing, you know, I promote it and so on, but I'm really more of an author than a marketer. You know? Okay. So, so, you know, I like nothing better than to sit in my little office and, you know, write books and so on create content but i understand with something that some authors don't understand is that you have to market you have to get out there and tell people this is something really good and you should buy it you know even though you know my nature is sort of like yours you know i'm more of a quiet mouse you know that wants Mm -hmm. to sit back and and just create new content and share things with people but you know one of the key things about marketing is the fact that you have to share and, and you said that, you know, you like to just give it away. You know, you, you give away a lot of content, but that's fine because you're building an audience, you're building a recognition. And at some point you can make the pitch. You can tell people, you know, I just came out with a great book and I hope you buy it because it's just amazing. (laughs) So, so I'm going to ask you for some advice. Oh, okay. Guy is when I want to go, let's say Good Morning America, I want to pitch your healthy com- cancer comeback in the journal to Good Morning America. What would you advise that I do? Well, for me, any of the national TV shows, I try to tie into something that's happening in the news. Okay. Uh, because, a, you know, a cancer book out of the blue coming to them, they're not going to figure out what to do with it. So you had to figure out how can you pitch them so that they get an idea of, you know, how they can use your book within the context of the program they do. But, you know, like CBS this morning, they have uh, Nate Burleson on it. And Nate was a pro football player. So So he understands. I mean, you know, I would probably today go pitch him a story connected to Ronnie Hillman. Because Nate probably played against Ronnie and uh, probably knew him, you know, and things like that. So he would go, oh, there is a story there. 
you know, even with a rare cancer, like in Ronnie's case, mm -hmm. but it's, it could be even a common kind of cancer that uh, somebody may be challenged with. And, you know, you hate to see somebody in the prime of their life get cut off. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it happens. I mean, in Ronnie's case, I think it came about pretty quickly. But uh, there's, you know, certainly a lot of women that go through some sort of breast cancer journey. Yeah. And that's a little bit more long term sometimes, you know, it, uh, it, and there's ups and downs and things like that. That's what I hear, you know. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, all sorts, all sorts of, uh, of I mean, all, all the cancers have their story, right? Bone right. cancer, brain cancer, ovarian, right. colon cancer. Yeah, it's, it, it is tragic how nobody gets unscathed by cancer maybe you don't have cancer but you're losing someone you love that has cancer you've lost someone or you're you're supporting someone who's fighting whether it's your close personal family member or a re or a friend everybody is affected by cancer so yeah i will i i'm gonna wait till i have books in my hand right <laughs> because that's the thing I need. I just need them in my hand. <laughs> but but I will take that tactic, John, and then I will let you know. I pitched so and so national media, and I'll spin it around a celebrity announcement of their cancer. And boy, are there a ton! And we'll see. We'll yeah. See right now. But you know, it's something that you have to do. You know, my nephew went through pancreatic cancer, and yes. boy, at one point, uh, you know. I saw a picture of him and boy, was he so skinny. And I was going, is he going to waste away? Is he dying? You know, I did didn't know. Or did he make no, it? he's still alive. He's still, now he's vibrant. Uh, he's really? actually uh, doing really well. Uh, wow. Now he had a history of good fitness, you know, running uh, triathlons and things like that. But <clears throat> he had pancreatic cancer and he's alive. He is. He's doing really well. He's actually really strong now. The neat thing that he did is he didn't give up, you know, and he actually would go with his wife to uh, different places. He lived in Denver, but he'd go to the mountains or to Utah or here to New Mexico and so on. He would travel at least once every two weeks and walk and, and do things to, you know, to not give up on life, to keep living life. And yeah. I really love that about him. It was amazing, you know, how many trips he's made to different places to just enjoy them and enjoy his life. And his wife has been very supportive. And, you know, obviously having support is very good. Yeah. Um, sure, that could be chapter two of your book or chapter two. Well, that's the actually this. So um, when, I well, went, when I went through treatment, I, I did not stop working. I boarded over 30 planes out of Gainesville, Florida to go announce races. I never wore a wig. It was me and my bald head took the show on the road. I probably hosted close to a million people live during chemo radiation surgeries. And even though I suffered greatly, I had more adventure and travel and excitement than most healthy people do in a decade. And, and it was really a great gift that I made those decisions when I, when things got hard. Great. Yeah. So I'm so happy your nephew's okay. Yes, I am too. You know, he actually came to Taos uh, uh, about a month ago, and we had a, a great lunch, and it was really nice seeing him um, and and hugging him, and you know, knowing that he was really solid. You know, he's how far how far out is he of his diagnosis? Oh gosh, when did it happen? Probably about a year ago. Okay. 
Okay. And, and they feel right now that it's in remission that uh, he's Wonderful. okay. He does need maintenance. Uh, so okay. he has to do a certain, uh, I think he, they were trying to do a uh, chemo uh, treatment as maintenance, but then they switched to something else and it was a more of a, a vitamin supplement okay. kind of uh, treatment or something, but uh, you know, it, it's working for him. He's doing well. And, you know, I always worried about him because, you know, especially when he was getting thin. But, you know, that thing about the second chapter in a book on self-publishing would be you need support. Yeah. You, ca- you can't do it yeah. on your own. You yeah. know, you, you hire the best people to help you create a cover or, you know, uh, you know, find a channel that will distribute your book, things like that. Perhaps you hire a publicist at some point. Or you just have the support of friends helping you. Uh, all those things make a difference in the self-publishing journey, just as they do in a cancer recovery journey. So, so John, one of the things that um, I leaned on friends for when, okay, so I get all the content or 98% of the content done. You think you're done. You're not really done when you think you're done, but I get it all out there. And then I asked oncologists, friends who were cancer patients and a couple of other, I said, would you re- read my book and tell me what you hate? And that was my direct thing. Tell me what you hate. And those <laughs> were strict orders. So nobody would feel bad if they said, oh, this is boring or this is whatever. Thankfully, they all said, oh my God, I love it. Blah, blah, blah. Now the oncologist, for example, they gave me a few really good tweaks and, and I I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving out medical advice. I'm giving out fitness and health and nutrition right. advice in this book, but it's wonderful to have oncologists say, this is a work of art. This is going to change lives. So that was really rewarding. Right. Um, but they were told, what do you hate? And I don't, I don't hate anything, but maybe you could say this differently for the cancer patients. What do you hate? And um, nobody hated it, but I'm hoping <laughs> that if they did, they would have my, my request to tell them to tell me what they hated would have been yielded. Instead, they said, "Well, maybe you could add on this." You know, they 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 every bit of every bit of feedback I got, I was able to utilize in a productive way. Yeah, um, I have another friend at the gym. I mean, she's. I started writing noisy in 2019. She started writing her fiction book, or she was halfway through her fiction book in 2019. She still hasn't published it because she's so desperate to have a traditional publisher do it. Mm. And she must, I mean, she's probably spent three years just reworking the pitch to publishers. And they tell her, just, just take the self-publishing bull by the horns and get it done. I can steer you. There's all of these wonderful resources. Your podcast is one of them to help people along with the process, but she's just stuck in the mud. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, and that's too sad because... 10 years from now, she may still be stuck in the mud mm-hmm. and she didn't, and she didn't sell it at all. Yeah. You know, so self-publishing is a good alternative to get yeah. started. You know, there are self-publishers that I know that did very well with a, like a romance novel and so on. And then they sold the rights to a larger publisher. Mm-hmm. So she can still do that. Yeah. There yeah. are a lot of self-published books that uh, sold well because the self-publisher, you know, went out there and promoted it. But then they turned around and sold the rights to a larger publisher. And the neat thing is, you know, I bet she's got three romance novels, maybe 10 in herself. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, ready to write. And so self-publish the first one, get it out there. And then you can go back and sell the rights to the second one to a big yeah. publisher because you've shown your track record and so on. And the chances are that if you sell the second one to a larger publisher, they're going to come back and ask you, can I, can we publish the first one as well? For sure. Yeah, well, I've been telling her that for years, but she <laughs> said, no, no, I just really wanted this way. And Well, so, you know, when we uh, put this up um, on Friday, actually, I'll probably release this on Friday. The thing that she should do is, you know, tell her to listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, we were talking about you. We were talking about you. Yeah, your ears were burning. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I undertook when Noisy was an audiobook. And that was, that was a huge product project. So I narrated it myself and which only makes sense my book and I'm a professional speaker. So I do understand why people hire out because you want to have a quality voice, but I was capable of doing it over 30 hours in the studio. Woo. That was exhausting work. The engineer would say things like, could you repeat that word without so much, without such a strong sound? So dull down your p. (laughs) Dull down your S sounds. I was like, how do I dull down my S sounds? So it was a lot of work, a lot of sedentary, quiet work in a room. And it's 10 and a half hours of book that it yielded, but it's done so well. It was, I think it was the most expensive part of the self-publishing process. Yeah, because you you can't do it yourself and do it well. You shouldn't do it yourself. So you need to have an you know an engineer get that yeah. kind of feedback things like yeah. that maybe a producer even oh, wow. uh, that helps you with it and really you know helps you to shape it. Are you on Audible then with that? Correct. Yeah, I'm everywhere with the, okay. Uh, so Audible and Google Play and Chirp. Uh, in fact, Chirp just reached out to tell me, "Well, your book is on our site and it's doing great." I said, Thank you. Um, but that was a interesting project. I'm not sure if I'm going to do an audiobook for healthy cancer comeback just because there's so many photo instructional photos in there and I don't I don't want yeah, anyone but, to be without them. But you know, I've seen nonfiction books like that where they uh sell it with a PDF. I did see that recently. That's that's and, a thought. And I've seen that multiple times on Audible okay. uh with different things. And uh my my wife uh, she listens to Audible all the time because she has uh, glaucoma and cataracts. So she's not doing that. She can't read uh, okay. f- very long before she gets really tired. Me. But so f- she listens to auto- Audible all the time. And uh, she just, and then now she has a thyroid problem. Okay. So she got the thyroid reset diet by uh, Ellen Christensen. Okay. an audible book and it came with a pdf with recipes and things like that okay. all uh, right well i'll i'll, I'll so you you could that. do it you could do I it can. dang it <laughs> dang it now i got another project but you know again you don't have to do it right. you know that's one of the nice things when you're in control you can choose what works best for you absolutely but you know your your previous book was I probably an ideal candidate for an audible audio book because uh, it was more narrative and probably not so much uh, do this, do that, the lists or charts or whatever it might be. And once you, once you get lists and charts and recipes, those are hard to do as, as audio. You're right. You're right. So I, you know, I'm on the fence. One of the things that the graphic designer 
she'd used a smaller font. And I said, could you make it a little bigger? My vision blurred during chemo. I had some real issues with seeing straight. I just said, I need these right. people to be able to see the words on the page. And she said, oh, okay. So we made the font a little bigger. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that might be another thing. And, and it's interesting how many people tell me that they, they buy a hardcover. They want me to sign the book. In fact, the majority of print books that are sold are hardcover. And I, and I hear a lot of people have the opposite, but I think I have about 70% hardcover sales. Uh, but a lot of people buy the print so they can have it autographed. And then they also buy the audio book so I can read it to them. And I'm, I'm super grateful for the double customer, but right. it's interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon. Yes. And, you know, the fact that, that they want the hardcover, that's probably partially because they feel they have a relationship with you Perhaps. and they want that relationship to last. Yeah. And a hardcover will last longer than a paperback. <laughs> you <know? Yes. laughs> yeah. So, you know what? They're harder to travel with. I, uh, I yeah. travel and speak and just bringing the books everywhere. That becomes a little bit of a chore, but it's worth it, right? How fortunate that we have people that would like yeah. to purchase our books. So I will drag them around the country and the world. Yes. So uh, uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think it could help, you know, authors, but it could also help and hopefully reach out to some uh, people that just got diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And they will hear your message that there is some things you can do about that, yeah. uh, especially in terms of maintaining fitness, which, you know, I agree with you. That's got to be a, a key yes. because, uh, you know, if you're well on all other levels, you have a better chance of uh, having that cancer go into remission than Absolutely. you would otherwise. Agreed. So what's the, what's the title of the new book coming out on January 23rd? Oh, January of 23. So, oh, January uh, 23. Yeah. I thought it was... <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So there's do, two. Do, do we know the actual pub date then or, or not? No, no, only because that graphic designer is tidying things up right now. So okay. I don't want to give, I, I'm, but it'll be in January for sure. So okay. uh, it's your healthy cancer comeback, sick to strong. That one is the guidebook, the manual, the blueprint for success and recovery. And along with it is a companion journal. Your, it's the healthy cancer comeback journal. And it's filled with prompts and, and there's places for you to detail your diagnosis, your date of diagnosis, your doctors, where you're treated, your scans, all of those cancer topics, but then there's all of these prompts. You can detail how you feel on certain days, uh, your, your favorite shoulder to cry on, your friend who makes the best homemade meals. What nickname did you give for your port? Or what nickname did you give for your tumor? Uh, you know, there's all of these really fun prompts that I think are cathartic, you know, to write things down. And right. I, I think, I think, and there, I think there's something so special about a pen and paper, the pen and paper experience. And, and for cancer patients, you know, we can work, we can play, we can exercise. I don't, I don't want anyone to feel like they shouldn't do those things. But the reality is we also have to do a lot of resting. We have to do a lot of sitting down and resting and you can only do so much Netflix. So hopefully this book will guide you, give you the full game plan for, for going from sick to strong and then also entertain you. And, you know, how interesting to look back 10 years from now at your journey and see what you went through and where you are now. So I'm, I'm excited about these two books, your healthy cancer comeback and the healthy cancer comeback journal. Thanks a lot. 
Uh, I really appreciate that you're willing to come in and talk about your self-publishing journal journey as well as your cancer recovery journey. It's been an absolute pleasure, John. Thank you so much for having me. Okay.